If I put my trust in human beings first, I will end in despairing of everyone. I'll become bitter because I will have trusted in man being what no man can ever be, which is absolutely right. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Have you ever wondered about that man in your life? Why he loves, feels, and acts the way he does? Today, what I wish my mother had told me about men. Our special guest, Julie Gorman. She'd take Colorado if he'd take her with him. Closes the door before the winter lets the cold in. And wonders if her love is strong enough to make him stay. She's answered by the taillights shining through the window pane. He said, I want to see you again But I'm stuck in colder weather Maybe tomorrow will be better Can I call you then? She said, you're a rambling man And you ain't ever gonna change You got a gypsy soul to blame And you were born for leaving Born for leaving Well it's a winding road When you're in the lost and found You're a lover, I'm a runner And we go round and round And I love you but I leave you I don't want you but I need you You know it's you that calls me back here Welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton. Does the man in your life sometimes disappoint you? You ever long for him to change? You ever wonder why it seems like he only wants one thing? Do you crave a greater intimacy in your relationship with him? Stay close. Our special guest is Julie Gorman. She's the founder of For Your Inspiration, a faith-based organization committed to strengthening the pillars common to every woman's life. She's a certified executive coach, trainer, and speaker. She's a graduate of Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. She's a prolific blogger, writer, makes her home in South Florida with her husband, Greg, and their three children. Julie, thanks for joining us on Life, Love, and Family. Tim, what a privilege. Thanks for having me here. Love your work with the AACC, Julie's work with Extraordinary Women, your work with Wildfire Men. You guys are busy people, so thanks for taking some time to talk with me. Julie, we're all having fun. Let's go to that great disconnect, though. It was in that song, you know that, and men often feel very misunderstood by women, and women often are very confused about men, and there are some deceptions, deceptions, I think, that destroy intimacy between the sexes, aren't there? Oh, there sure are. You know, I I swung on this pendulum, so I'll just speak from personal experience, a a pendulum that began with this naive idea that a man was going to come in and validate my worth, rescue me. He was never going to let me down. This this belief, though, I would never maybe have articulated it. I expected it to be like Jesus Christ in every way. And then when I came to that crashing realization that wasn't going to happen, I, I kind of went to the middle ground where I thought, well, I'll change him, or I think maybe I can control him. And then it became to this bitterness of, man, everything's his fault. He's a pervert. Men are the enemy. <laughs> and it was that faulty, the underlying thought was just, I wanted a man to satisfy a longing that only God could. 
Well, she's written a new book for those of you listening. It's called What I Wish My Mother Had Told Me About Men Again. And Julie, let's just jump straight into this. Let's start with the very first sort of deception or lie, I think, that women struggle with, and that is he's going to validate my worth. Julie, it's okay, though, to have an expectation that a man would love you. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that I felt compelled to share in the book is that the feelings that we have as women, they're not wrong. It's not wrong to want to be loved. It's not wrong to want to be significant. It's not wrong to want affection. The problem that exists is when we misappropriate or allocate those affections to another person rather than to the only one who can satisfy the longings of our soul. Because if I base my worth solely on what he thinks of or how he responds to me, some days he's not okay, right? Absolutely. Some days he's a mess, right? (laughs) Yeah, as much as I want a Superman, you know, and I kind of joke in the book, he might look really great in tights, but the truth is he's he's prone. He's prone to a fallen nature, just like I am, in, in need of a redeemer and in, in need of the one who can only fill his soul. And so if I'm not filled up, if I don't truly know, fully know who God says I am, then the risk, whether I'm male or female, people try to fill that God vacuum, if you will, with a lot of things, not just relationships. It could be our job. It could be in our parenting. We, we live vicariously through our kids and all of those things. And so the underlying theme of the book is just a message of hope that God loves them. He loves them passionately. And once we know that, then and only then are we really ready for a relationship. There are a lot of women, though, listening, Julie, who have gotten caught up in a relationship where they expected him to love her perfectly. And for some women, it's because they've come out of a past of brokenness. Maybe their dad wasn't okay to them. And they're looking for the love of their father in this man that they're going to spend the rest of their life with. And then they get so disappointed when it doesn't show up at the level that they're expecting it. Unpack that for us. Oh, boy, been there, done that, lived it. The message is, again, a hope in Jesus, but how do we do that? We can know what to do. The the greatest gap in life is that knowledge between knowing and doing, of living it, of really experiencing it. And my past was exactly that, Tim. It was broken. I had a very abusive upbringing. My abuse began at the age of four, followed me through my teen years, and unfortunately, when the pain could have stopped there, I perpetuated the pain through my own dysfunction. And I searched for this affirmation, this longing for another human being to see us. And, and that's what we long. I mean, we're, we're God's creation, and he creates this hole in our soul that longs for intimacy because he wants to fill it. And I, unfortunately, like the woman that you just described, tried to fill it with people. And unfortunately, those people let me down. And so unpack that. It, it's painful. It's hard. But there is healing, and the truth is the more that we press in, the more that we quiet our soul before God, no matter how bad our situation is, He is the God who redeems. He's the God who traversed through the trenches of our indifference, our pride, and He nailed the weight of our sin to its final death on the cross. And so I think that woman that you described, if she's listening today, what I would say is get quiet and take some moments to uh, delve into God's Word. It's filled with His love for you. So those structures, those repattering of our thinking, we got to fight to change that and allow God to speak the truth into our life. And the truth is, there's only one man who will meet the deepest longings of any woman's heart, and that's Jesus, right? Amen. 
he's the one, too. It's like, I think that that's what we wrestle with. You know, we want a God with skin on. I think that's why it's so common for us to substitute an earthly relationship, or try to anyway, substitute our earthly relationship with the only one that can satisfy, which is God. It's that age-old dilemma where the Israelites, they're released from captivity. They're set free. They witness these mighty miracles. And then just a few passages later, what are they doing to him? They're, they're worshiping a golden cow, you know, trying to get something that doesn't satisfy And all along, God is saying, don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any other gods alongside me. Why? Because he's mad at us? Of course not. You know, the the truth is, what he's saying is he's wanting to whisper the truth because he knows that only he will never let us down. Only he can validate our worth. He knew us before the formation of the world, and he called us by name. He knows the hairs on our heads, and he dances over us. Scripture says he dances and rejoices over us with singing, but we have a hard time. I think the busyness of life, I, I don't know, you know, from your perspective, I'm sure maybe you can even add as a man, it's not just women who struggle to capture that truth that women are loved by God. It's, it's that whole age-old thing of, really, does God see me? Does He love me? A man will validate my worth. If I get lost in that, I'm going to be in a spin. Now, we're not saying, again, you can't come into a relationship with a man and have expectations of being loved and more like that, Julie. But what we are saying is your worth has nothing really to do with him. It's about how God sees you personally. The second one, that a man's going to rescue you. Julie, I I want you to go back and talk to us a little bit about your dad. I read your story about your dad passing away in 2012, and I was moved by it. Mm. Yeah, you know, I had a whole new level of grace and understanding in his passing. My father and I were estranged because of the life choices that he had made. And I remember having a conversation with my husband, Greg, saying, well, I guess one day I'll know if I've really truly forgiven or if I've somehow deceived myself into thinking that I had because I wrestled with how much do I interact with this man. But again, because of his life choices, it wasn't safe for me to have relationship with him. And so when he passed, I went to his funeral, and I remember, Tim, it was very surreal. Death has this finality to it. And as I stood at his casket, I remember looking at his face and I whispered, it's like, Daddy, you're still not able to give me what I need. (laughs) You know, all of that affirmation of, I longed for a daddy whose eyes would light up in the room when I walked in, A, a daddy who would protect me, a man who would come to my rescue, who believed the very best about me, but instead, because of his brokenness, he wasn't able to deliver that. And as I stood by his casket, one of the things that happened is I immediately began to think of my son, Joshua, who um, is 11 years old. And it was funny how God took his face and just imprinted it in my mind. And I thought about when my dad was a young man, surely as he was brought up. He had higher aspirations. He never, I'm sure, at that age began to think, when I grow up, I really want to skew my daughter's perception of men. When when I grow up, I want to abuse her. When I grow up, I want her to wonder if she has worth or struggle with anorexia or search for the longing and affection in every other man. That, that's not who he wanted to be. And as I stood there, this overwhelming sense of God's grace flowed from top to toe, that warm blanket feeling And before I even knew what I was saying, I just said, I forgive you, Daddy. I release you from all of those things because the truth is, 
My dad wasn't the enemy. The other men in my life weren't the enemy. The true enemy of my soul is very crafty, and he uses people, unfortunately, to be his messengers. And my father, because of his brokenness, because of the paradigms, somewhere along life it got skewed. And so with that, I was able to release him, and in that realized that my real Heavenly Father came to my rescue a long time ago. Mm. Julie, but there's nothing wrong with, again, having an expectation that a man will provide or be there some sense of security or safety for you. It's like, you know, having a Superman. I, I just want somebody to love me. I want somebody there for me. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, and it's fulfilling to have that. I believe that's how God designed our relationship. I think maybe Oswald Chambers said it best. And one of the things that he said is that if I put my trust in human beings first, I will end in despairing of everyone. I'll become bitter because I will have trusted in man being what no man can ever be, which is absolutely right. And that's what we're talking about, Tim. When we have such an expectation that allows no man to be able to meet that need, it's not talking about being faithful. It's not talking about not being abusive. It's not talking about those things. It's talking about having such a faulty expectation where our needs and our identity are wrapped up in who they say we are. And it's not until, again, as we said earlier, until I know who God has said I am, that I'm even ready to begin to love or to receive love in a healthy way. The third one, a man will never let me down. (laughs) I put over in my notes after going through your chapter here, I wrote down the word expectations and then I put reality. The gap between those two words, expectation and reality, is pure disappointment. Seriously. And uh, if you think he's not going to hurt you, you've got another thing coming to you. It's the old Rod Stewart or Sheryl Crow song. The first cut's the deepest. I mean, it's a stunner, though, when you get hurt by someone who's supposed to love you. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately for me, again, I would have never said, you know, Greg, I expect you to be like Jesus Christ. And no woman would ever be dared to say something like that. And yet so often, As I've ministered with women, I've watched this faulty paradigm be the underweight of, again, not these big heinous sins, but just even the things of taking out the trash or doing something, the interaction with the kids. It's it's expecting him to be perfect in every single way. And one of the things I love that Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, he said, every man deserves to be remembered by his best moments. And so often what happens is we tend to focus on the negative, and we look for this man to be exceptionally perfect in this way. He should know what we think. Society tells us he should be suave and debonair and (laughs) know exactly what to say at just the right moment, and it sets us up. It's unrealistic expectations that end up causing our confrontations. And a man, unfortunately, will let us down because he does have a kryptonite, and that kryptonite is a fallen nature. Got it. A man will never let me down. The fourth myth, or intimacy buster, if you want to call it that. Julie, I guess we could call it that, right? Yeah. Men only want one thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's another one. You know, and again, it plays out in a lot of different ways. I think as a single woman, men only want one thing. If we truly buy into that lie, then we're prone to want to compromise our purity, compromise our faith, because it's just the next rung in the relationship ladder. And so we sacrifice our innocence or we sacrifice our morality uh, because that's what a man wants, we think. 
And so then as a, as a married woman, I think the other flip side of the coin is where we totter between, well, a man only wants one thing. And so we treat sex or relationships, intimacy in that way, as just a, a dutiful chore that has to be checked off of our to-do list. And, and we begrudgingly go, okay, okay, done, you know. And it's so the opposite of God's design. God designed us for relationship. And he knows that the purest expression of that relationship is confined between a man and a woman in holy matrimony. And again, it's an expression of love. It's an expression of discovery. And if we believe that men only want one thing, we'll never be able to fully partake in what I believe is a beautiful, one of the most intimate acts of a husband and a wife. You cited in the chapter... A mutual friend of ours, Shanti Feldhahn, she said this, that 97% of men said getting enough sex wasn't by itself enough. They wanted to feel wanted. Yeah. Wow, isn't that alarming? Again, I think that's just a clear message, and I think it offers hope to single ladies. Look, you don't have to compromise your purity for the sake of a relationship. Men need something so much more. Our words, our affirmation, our go get them, add a boy, you know, the, the expressions of if anyone can do it, baby, you can. And, and being that voice of cheerleader and encourager will deepen your intimacy and relationship. And then the other part of it, oh, can I get transparent for a second, Tim? Is that okay? Yeah, please. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, we're married for uh, probably four or five years, and I remember, again, because of some of the baggage of my relationships and uh, that I did, and then, of course, the, the painful part of my past, of the abuse, it tempered our intimacy. And I remember I treated it, again, probably a lot like this dutiful chore and did a lot of the act of it out of a fear that if I didn't, Greg wouldn't love me or he'd go find a relationship elsewhere that would satisfy. And so it was this weight of not fulfilling. And at one point, my husband looked at me very lovingly and just said, Julie, I don't want just the relationship part. I want your affection. You know, he wanted my affirmation. He wanted me. And when I looked at him, I realized it's like, wow, I've got some work to do here. Of uh, He wanted me to say yes, not just in the physical act, but he wanted me to say yes in my heart, in my spirit. Mm. And when he spoke those words, you, you've never said no to me. You're right. You've never said no. We had this holy confrontation. And <laughs> he said, you're right. You've never said no to me, but you've never said yes. And what I realized is that God wanted to go another layer deeper to heal and to restore what his plan was for the marriage bed and teach me how to love my husband and to reciprocate and receive his love. I can change him. That's number five. You know what, Julie? I've had a lot of conversations with women and it'll be something along these lines. He's really a good guy. Mm. I know these things are going on and things aren't very well between us or some other people have some problems with him, but I know him and at the end of the day... There's a control battle going on. There's wrestling, all kinds of chaos. And, and it seems like this incompatibility factor just starts making us all crazy. What do you say to this? How do we get lost? How do women get lost in this thought? Yeah, a, a firm word here. God alone possesses the power to change the heart of a man. And I think as women, we are encouragers. As women, we want to make a difference. We want to help. I think our heart is towards our husband or towards the man that God is bringing into our life. The problem is is that we cannot 
and we must not position ourselves as the savior of any man. And that inescapable dilemma that you're talking about is where we try to change a man to be something that he's not ready to change. The statistic that I found staggering is that 47% of marriages that are ending in divorce, there's this part that I think only 7% of them are actually because of infidelity. The other part, I wonder if, if the reason for the divorce is because women marry this man thinking, well, he's going to change, or I can be the one. And, and it's such a dangerous game to realize that God has to first get a hold of the man's heart. And only he can have that relationship. Only he can satisfy the longing of that man's heart. It's nothing that we do or nothing we say that is going to make him become something he's not ready to be. I I know that's kind of walking around in a circle, but the truth is, I, I love what Billy Graham says. He says, the Bible says we each have a basic, hardcore, spiritual problem that we can never solve on our own, and that problem is sin. And so until a man is ready to face his maker, like Jacob did when he wrestled alone with God at night, until he's ready to encounter God for himself, no amount of our persuasion can do it for him. (laughs) I'll tell a little on my Julie and me for a second. Early on, sometimes it happens still now, (laughs) when we were driving down the highway, she'd be trying to talk to me. And if I didn't look at her, Julie, when she was talking, or at least acknowledge her, if I just kept looking straight forward and just nodded or whatever, <laughs> she would reach over and grab me, you know, touch my chin and turn my face her direction. You got what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And you can imagine already, everybody's saying, no, you do that again. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know what's funny? My son, Zach, used to do that to, to Julie. He'd be trying to talk to her, and she wouldn't. He'd reach up and grab her by the chin and turn her face toward, look at me, Mom. Now, start thinking about this. There's an important factor here. We need to acknowledge each other. We need to have personal presence. But if you think you're going to change or control him, the more you do that very thing, what's going to happen? That spirit of rebellion is just going to come up. Yeah, I'm, I, I refuse to. Well, what did I just say? I'll parrot it all back to you. Yeah, right. That brings us right into the other myth of the I can control them. Right. That was probably more so than anything, the one that I struggled with the most, Tim. And the reason why is I I thought if I could create this perfect little bubble-wrapped world, I would be safe. And so if I could control Greg's actions, control what he thought, help him to think what I thought, feel what I felt, want everything that I wanted, it, it, it was a disaster in the making. And I remember one night, thank God that he's healed our relationship. Truly, people witness and see our relationship and love what we have. He is my absolute confidant, my best friend. We are on one another's uh, team. But at one point, it was this constant friction of me trying to fix him or get him to be what I wanted him to be, and it drove him nuts. And at one night, I remember we had this fight, and he squealed off in his car, and he said, Julie, I love you, but I can't live like this. Mm. And what I was trying to do, really, was to keep myself from being hurt. But the truth is, in a relationship, we have to be vulnerable. We have to allow for imperfections. Uh, We have to allow for differences. And I'll never forget that night, it was the turning point in my healing. And it truly was, um, the Holy Spirit put a thought in my head. And again, when I say put it in my head, it's just a thought that was so much greater than my own. I was busy complaining and crying and mad at Greg. And the, the Holy Spirit whispered this thought in my thoughts. And he said, quit trying to be his Holy Spirit. And I thought, ouch, but don't you see what he's doing? (laughs) (laughs) 
But what I realized, I never allowed God room to move because I always felt like I needed to be his voice piece. And so God instructed me to pray for Greg, to yield my heart's desires back to God and allow him to change in me what needs to be changed. And then in in turn to change in Greg what needed to be changed. But I needed to trust God with that. Julie, there's a lot more in here that you talk about. It's all his fault. All men are perverts. (laughs) Men are the enemy. A man will satisfy the deep longings of my soul. If you were to shake all this down and you could give us the one big takeaway, here's the one thing that I really wish my mother would have told me about men that would have changed, I think, the game for me. What would it be? The central theme of the entire book, Tim, is simply that God loves us passionately and only He can satisfy the longings of our soul. And even better news than that is that our God loves us deeply, madly, and passionately. He fights for our affection. He has designed us, I believe, he, he has an institution in mind between a man and a woman, one where we celebrate one another, celebrate our differences, and together then, as both of us are being, having our needs truly met in an intimate relationship with Him in a real way, in that way, when we realize that He loves us, then we're going to feel that fulfillment of loving one another and receiving love from one another. Solomon said it this way, there are three things that I don't understand. One of those is a man and a woman crazy in love. The tough part, getting to that point. There's so many differences between the sexes and there's so many thoughts or beliefs that we start embracing or holding on to that break, that destroy the very thing that God wants to do in our relationship. If that's where you're at, listen, first of all, you're not alone. But secondly, you don't need to stay there. I'd encourage you to go pick up a copy of this book by Julie Gorman. It's called What I Wish My Mother Had Told Me About Men, 12 Secrets Toward Greater Intimacy. You've been listening to Life, Love, and Family. If you want more information about our organization, feel free to call us at 855-455-3264. That's 855-455-3264. Or look us up on the World Wide Web at lifeloveandfamily.net. Thanks for listening. Life, Love, and Family. 
You know the feeling where you're tired and unmotivated and sometimes you get mad for no reason. And maybe you don't like what it's doing to your family or to your job. That's why the Center for Counseling and Health Resources has been there for people for more than 30 years. They take a whole person care approach that'll look at everything from your nutrition, your vitamin balances, your mind, your spirit. Call 1-888-771-5166. Or for help right now, visit aplaceofhope.com. Women in Depression, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD, get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center. 1-877-257-9612 or timberlineknowles.com.